1: 36% better on average compared to
0: other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with Shopify.
1: Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/work. shopify.com/work.
0: It's not often that a college competitor winning a swimming race leads to international controversy. But back in March, that's exactly what happened.
1: Leah Thomas, a swimmer on the University of Pennsylvania's women's swim team, has become the first openly transgender athlete to win a Division I NCAA championship.
0: Her victory triggered changes in international rules.
2: Now, the world governing body of swimming has voted to ban transgender athletes from competing in women's events unless they have transitioned by the age of 12.
0: But swimming isn't the only sport to rule on trans-athlete participation recently. So what are the new rules and how will they affect athletes? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, exclusion or fairness? New rules for trans-athletes.
3: I'm Martin Ziegler, and I am the chief sports reporter for The Times and The Sunday Times. Martin, with all big
0: issues, before there's any sign of change, there's always sort of a tipping point in an argument. And it feels like in terms of trans sport and swimming in particular, that tipping point came in March at a race for the NCAA championship in America.
1: 20 lengths to the pool, 20 points on the line for the winner here at the NCAA championship.
0: The National Collegiate Athletic Association, or NCAA, is the organization that runs sporting competitions for American and Canadian students.
3: This was the first major national championship race where Leah Thomas was taking part. Now, for people who don't know who Leah Thomas is, she has become a sort of famous figure in sport because she initially raced for the University of Pennsylvania men's team when she first went to college, and she then transitioned and joined the female team. And in this race, which was the 500-yard freestyle... Leah
1: Thomas pulling away over the final 150 metres.
3: She basically smashed all their rivals and became the first transgender women to win a championship in the NCAA.
1: NCAA
3: This was seen as a sort of really, really huge moment for swimming because the time that she did was better than, for example, Olympic medalists.
0: What sort of a reaction was there when that happened?
1: This morning, controversy along with victory as transgender athlete Leah Thomas shatters women's college swimming records in the 200 and 500 yard freestyle
0: on Friday.
3: A sort of mixture of sort of controversy from those who thought this was a sort of devastating blow to women's sport to jubilation from those supporting the right of transgender women to take part in women's competition.
0: Just tell us a bit about Lea Thomas, the person at the centre of this row. What do we know about her? And, and you, you mentioned that she'd competed for the men's championship before. How had she done when she'd when she'd been part of the men's team?
3: She'd been pretty good, but not one of the sort of leading contenders by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I think if you can look at some of her times, she would have been in the top hundred men in the, in the USA. You'd say a sort of regular college swimmer, nothing particularly special, but still pretty good. For people who are unhappy about her taking part in female competition, it's illustrated the fact that actually you can be a sort of fairly average college swimmer in the men's team, but then if you transition, then you suddenly become a world champion, potentially, but certainly a national champion in the women's competition.
0: I mean, that is an extraordinary difference.
3: It really is. And that completely focused the minds of sport, especially swimming. Transgender athletes have competed in other sports. But I think this was the first time this particular example had come to light at such an elite level. And for women who suddenly feared that their chances of competing and success were being eroded, for many, it was a challenge. Not for all, it has to be said. Some of the swimmers that Leah Thomas competed against were supportive.
0: 22-year-old Leah Thomas grew up in Texas and told her family that she was transgender in 2018. She recently spoke to US media about the issue of trans athletes.
2: Trans women competing in women's sports does not threaten women's sports as a whole. Why? Because trans women are a very small minority of all athletes, and we haven't seen any massive uh, wave of trans women dominating.
0: The row that it sparked has forced the International Swimming Federation to actually sort of take measures now. Just talk us through what they've decided. FINA,
3: which is the International Swimming Federation, as a response to Leah Thomas's victory in in the championships, they put together a, a group to decide what to do about their guidelines because the International Olympic Committee has decided that actually individual federations should make their own rules. They're not going to impose anything themselves. So they put together a group of what they say were sports scientists, medical experts, lawyers, and people with a sort of human rights interest, saying that they actually had everybody from across the board and they consulted with groups, including groups who were pro-transgender inclusion. And they came to what for some people was quite a a surprisingly strong position.
1: FINA, the swimming world's governing body, voting to effectively ban transgender athletes from competing in women's events. We have to protect the rights of all our athletes to compete. But we also have to protect competitive fairness at our events, especially women's competition. Leo responding to the decision, telling ABC News in a statement, the new phenom release is deeply upsetting. It is discriminatory and will only serve to harm all
3: women. Anyone who has been through male puberty cannot take part in female competition, whether they have transitioned or not, and whatever their testosterone levels are, because until now, for most sports, it's always been about testosterone levels rather than male puberty.
0: And did they explain why that was? Why did they think puberty was a better measure than hormone levels at the moment?
3: There are quite a few scientific studies which have looked at the impact of transitioning after male puberty and have stated that the physical advantages you get from going through male puberty are maintained even if you reduce your testosterone levels, you transition fully the muscles the physique remain and even though you reduce your testosterone levels you cannot get past that inherent advantage what international swimming said is that they are not going to allow people like leah thomas to compete in elite international female competition
0: do we know if leah thomas's testosterone levels now were they within the levels that, that they would expect
3: Yes, so she would have had to reduce her testosterone levels to below 10 nanomoles per litre, which is a level which has been sort of set. I think it was the previous IOC guidelines (laughs) set that. They've now removed those guidelines, and other sports have different levels.
0: Just tell us a bit about the, the response within the swimming world
3: to these new measures. I mean, if you look at, for example, Sharon Davies, the Olympic swimmer who won a silver medal for Britain in 1980. She's been, I would say, jubilant.
2: I'm really proud of my, my association to be the first to come forward and actually base their rules on proved science. You know, we've been asking for that for five years now. We All we've ever wanted is to have fair sport for females.
3: I mean, she's been a fairly vociferous campaigner on this issue. But this wasn't just imposed on swimming. This was a, a vote by their Congress. So, all the national federations joined together, and they they voted on this, and it was passed overwhelmingly. It's been strongly supported. I think very few competitive swimmers, if any, female swimmers, have come out against this.
0: There are some figures who have sort of come out against. It. I mean, tell us about
3: Tom Daly. Tom Daly said he was absolutely furious with this outcome. He's somebody, for example, who took a long time to come out as gay and i think he felt for him personally it was a huge thing and something that he he struggled with and trans people are having a similar struggle and they should be supported they shouldn't be excluded or punished that they should be included and that other people feel the same way and think actually you know once you've transitioned you are a woman and it's transphobic to suggest that in any way that you're not
0: it is an incredibly difficult
3: problem. It is really difficult. And then the, the other arguments are, why are we making these rules when there's so few people involved? There's a, there's a handful. This is just one case, for example, in one sport. And everyone seems to be sort of going completely over the top, is one argument. In fact, what we should be doing is understanding that there are differences in, for example, the average height of Somebody from Holland compared to somebody from Indonesia, talking about women, I mean, there's if mm-hmm. the average height is significantly different. So why? Just because a, a transgender woman has a height advantage or something, why should she be penalised? That's one of the arguments.
0: These rules that will only apply to a small number of people.
3: Across the country, across elite sport at the moment, we're looking at sort of low double-digit numbers. So we're not talking... A hundred or even close to that, which is one of the arguments used by people who are saying that this is taking a, a sledgehammer to crack a nut because we're talking about such small numbers of people across so many different sports.
0: And Martin, as you say, this argument has been rumbling along for a while. I mean, it's the latest case of Leah Thomas that's really sort of forced FINA to look at it and to reevaluate their rules. But the argument has been talked about for years now. Do you think for a lot of these sports bodies, they've sort of been, slightly paralysed by fear of acting in either way.
3: Not just sport, but the whole issue around transgender women, particularly, I think, with safe spaces, women's changing rooms, for example. That's a really tricky one for society. And of course, mm. that's reflected in sport.
0: And now suddenly it's, it's not just the world of swimming that's taking action. Tell us a little bit about the new guidelines that are being brought in by Rugby League.
1: Rugby League has banned transgender players from competing at this year's World Cup. Male to female trans athletes will
0: be unable to play. The ruling made one day after the World swimming body, FINA, did the
1: same.
3: They had initially had a case-by-case basis, but they've actually followed swimming and they've actually followed Rugby Union, which was probably the first international federation to bring in this rule around if you've gone through male puberty, then you can't take part in elite. Women's competition. And International Rugby League have done that ahead of the Rugby League Women's World Cup this autumn. And they say they will review their rules afterwards. But yes, they've basically done the same thing as swimming and the same thing as rugby union.
0: Was there a particular case that prompted it for them, or was it seeing that the world of swimming was taking action?
3: Rugby is a particularly difficult case because there's a sort of safety element. If you have somebody who's very strong and very large, up against somebody who's very slight and those differences can be particularly big in women's rugby league and rugby union then there's a safety issue so for example in the community game in england the rugby union that does allow i think there's five or six transgender women playing in women's community rugby union they do that on an individual basis weight and strength is measured just to make sure that there's no significant risk that they can pose to their opponents. Mm. At the elite level, it's tougher. They've gone down the swimming route. If you've gone through male puberty, you cannot compete in women's rugby.
0: And how has that gone down?
3: There's not been a particular outcry about that, actually. I think most people have been more focused on swimming and also cycling, who have also brought in some new rules in the last few weeks.
0: Coming up, we'll hear about the British cyclist banned from competing. But first, a quick message from a colleague. I'm Megan Agnew, a news features writer at The Sunday Times. That means I might go from interviewing pop stars to sitting in courtrooms covering the human impacts of crime to tracking down the two women known as the Rolex Rippers. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
1: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: A lot of sports now are having to stop and think about how they deal with trans athletes. Tell me a little bit about a competition that was taking place here in the UK. A young trans athlete was about to take part, Emily Bridges. Tell us a bit about her and what happened.
2: When Emily Bridges publicly came out as transgender 18 months ago, she longed to race in the female category. This week, the British cyclist's hopes were shattered.
3: Emily Bridges, in a way, there's some similarities to Leah Thomas. She's 21 years old. She'd been at university. As a male, she was a, a very, very strong youth cyclist. She just missed out being part of the sort of British Cycling Academy. But she went to university, raced for the men's team. She also transitioned. And that transition meant that in March earlier this year, she was due to take part in the National Omnium Championships because her 12-month transitioning period had been completed and she was going to race against people like Dame Laura Kenny, the Olympic champion in in this race. Hmm. And then at the 11th hour, it was thwarted and the permission for her to race was removed by British Cycling and the International Cycling Union.
0: And did they explain their reasoning?
3: British Cycling said that under the International Cycling Union's rules, UCI, that she was ineligible to compete in that. They just said that she was still registered as a male cyclist and therefore she couldn't compete as a female cyclist. So
0: it was sort of admin thing, really.
3: She had competed in the men's race at the British University Championships a month earlier. Now, I think even Emily Bridges herself has accepted that was perhaps the wrong decision to do, but she mm. wanted to remain competitive
2: it probably wasn't the right thing to do. Um, at the time, I wanted to do it because I wanted to keep my skills sharp. Um, I, because cycling is such a tactical and technical sport, it's not just physical. And I thought that it would put me in a good place um, f- for when I started, started racing with women.
3: But as far as the UCI were concerned, that sort of gave them the reason to say that you know, she was registered as a male cyclist and therefore she couldn't compete as a female cyclist. That led to us, very similar in a way to Leah Thomas, the UCI, to look at their whole rules on an elite competition themselves.
0: And what have they come up with?
3: Initially, at least, they've, they've doubled the transition period. So instead of 12 months of transitioning, you have to have transitioned for at least 24 months. And your testosterone levels, instead of 5 nanomoles per litre, has to be reduced to 2.5, hmm. which they say is the top level that testosterone can occur naturally in, in women. For Emily Bridges, that meant that it's gonna be at least another year before she could compete in women's competition. She was absolutely bitterly disappointed. Her her mother, who's a sort of strong campaigner on her behalf, was absolutely furious.
0: Has Emily Bridges said anything about it? You know, you mentioned that even she probably thought competing in the men's competition a month before was a bad idea but has she said anything more about the decision and, and the fact that she won't be able to race competitively for another year now
3: she said that she's been treated very unfairly She's said that the cycling authorities have moved the goalposts that the whole debate that has sprung up around this it had boris johnson talking about it
2: i don't think that uh biological males should be competing in female sporting events and and, you know maybe maybe that's a controversial thing to see but it just just seems to me to be sensible.
3: It's led to such a lot of publicity, she's had threats of physical violence by strangers online, you know, awful things really. It's really strange to see
2: probably the most famous man in Britain um, talking about you um, and having an opinion on something that he doesn't know anything about. And the response after that was as expected. Um, I had threats of physical violence made against me um, by complete strangers online, um, and I'm 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 scared a lot of the time about about being who I am in public.
3: Whichever side of the argument you fall, one has to feel slightly sorry for the people at the centre of it, and very sorry for them when they are faced with these sorts of abuse and intimidation.
0: And meanwhile, you know, in other sports, this is still an ongoing issue. They haven't come down on either side. They haven't really made a decision yet. I mean, tell us a bit about where is women's football at the moment?
3: FIFA, the world governing body, is having a consultation process on this and and, and will decide soon about elite women's football. Having spoken to senior people in the the organisation, It looks very much to me as they're going to sort of follow a scientific-based route. And that will either, I guess, be the sort of swimming rugby option of you can't go through male puberty and play elite women's football, or they will go down the cycling route and this sort of very low level of testosterone. At grassroots level, that will be left to individual countries. So for community amateur football, depending which country you're in, if you're a transgender woman, you should be able to compete in most women's football competitions. I think, for example, the German Football Federation have already said, all you need to do is identify as a man or a woman, and then you can play in whichever of those competitions you want at amateur level. Mm. And I think perhaps the same will happen with the Football Association. I think speaking to the, the chairman woman of the FA, Debbie Hewitt, was sort of indicating fairness was as important as inclusion. So i got the impression that certainly at elite level, the the, the English FA would back the sort of restrictions at elite level that you've seen in other sports, but that there would be differences in the community game. I think probably athletics probably going to go the same way, I'd say. Sebastian Coe, Lord Coe, the president of World Athletics, he says he feels sympathy with swimming's decision, and I can see that going that way as well.
0: Martin, it, it does feel like this has been an issue that's been talked about for for years now why why are all the bodies suddenly taking a decision on it around now
3: the debate has been around for a number of years that's for sure but i think before we've not had transgender women coming into elite women's competition and challenging those who are already there so we had laurel hubbard the new zealand weightlifter at the tokyo olympics she was probably the first one that was perhaps one of the sparks of the debate again laurel hubbard is now a member of the new zealand team to tokyo she is their first olympian who has transitioned from male to female there were some fairly high expectations that she'd do well because in in her world championships she'd come second as it turned out, she wasn't successful. She said that the whole media circus around her had, had proved too stressful, and she actually didn't do that well at all. If you look a little bit further back, there was the whole issue in athletics around intersex athletes. These are people with differences of sexual development, such as the South African runner, Castor Semenya. She's not transgender. She was raised as a girl you know, from birth. And to all intents and purposes, always viewed herself as female and was viewed as female. But it turned out more than 10 years ago now that actually she had male chromosomes. And so she is described as intersex. Although she has male chromosomes and some sort of male advantages, you'd say in terms of testosterone, she is also very much a woman. That led World Athletics to introduce some restrictions on testosterone levels and at what races DSD athletes could compete in.
0: DSD stands for Differences of
1: Sexual Development.
3: That provoked a sort of lengthy court case. The sports
1: world's highest court ruled yesterday that Semenya must take medication to reduce her unusually high testosterone level if she wants to compete.
3: That also, I think, set and train a lot of the scrutiny around transgender women taking part in women's competition.
0: And I suppose now, you know, you talked about some of the media scrutiny around Laurel Hubbard and the stress of it, but for a transgender athlete who is at the elite level, I mean it must just be incredibly confusing with such a, a patchwork of rules across the sports.
3: Yes, but if you're in your particular sport, you'll know what they are. It's not as though if you're an athlete, you have to know everybody's. Mm. You can just focus on your own. I did not say it's necessarily confusing, but I think it's uncertain that's what it is, because most sports now are looking at what they're going to do, and they haven't decided yet. There's a certainty if you're a swimmer, but I think even in cycling, I wouldn't be surprised, although they've recently announced the 24-month transition and the 2.5 limit, For testosterone, if they move on that in the future as well,
0: really for the people who are directly affected by it, for the elite athletes, I mean, it's just it's an incredibly difficult situation, you know, because at that level, you've probably spent a lifetime in training, and whether you're a trans athlete who now just might not be able to compete, however good you are, or if you're a woman, you know, who feels like you don't really have a level playing field because of of physical advantages. I mean, both sides, it's just an incredibly difficult situation. It's hard to see how you resolve it in a way that makes everybody happy.
3: Whatever you decide, somebody's going to be unhappy. What sports have to wrestle with is where they come down on this. Now, you can see if you've been an Olympic champion many times over and suddenly somebody comes who's been a good but not outstanding male athlete, and they transition and suddenly they're better than you then you might question that i suppose if you were from the transgender athlete point of view you'd say well hang on a minute if a woman who suddenly came from nowhere and hadn't been doing particularly well and then found a new training regime and then that worked for her and then she she started threatening your position, your status, then they would be equally unhappy. <laughs> it's the competition they don't like rather than the fact that someone happens to have been born male.
0: And we started by talking about the case of Leah Thomas, the swimmer who now really wouldn't be able to compete because she had gone through male puberty. For people like that, for people who are now sort of written out of elite competition, in the future, will there be a form of competition they can still take part in at that level?
3: Potentially. So what Fina have said is that they're going to explore having a protected female category and then you'd have an open category in which anyone can compete. If you're a transgender woman, you take part in the open category. If you're a man, you take part in the open category. Because I don't think there's potentially enough competitors to have a male category, a female category, and an open category at the moment. Hmm. There are some sports who already have it, although it's just viewed as sort of the men's competition, but actually it is an open competition. It's just whether there's a sort of obviously a fairness issue around that, in that if you're a transgender woman, should you still take part in the men's competition? But we had that, for example, Emily Bridges did that. She took part in the University Men's Championships just a month before she wanted to take part in the Women's Omnium. And she did well. So you can see that there is arguably still space for transgender women to compete in that open category.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, chief sports reporter for The Times and The Sunday Times, Martin Ziegler. You can read more of Martin's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers today were Edward Drummond and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line. To stories of our times at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.